Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the, Lord, the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, the, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by the sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in stripes of clothes laying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to the God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is the word of the Lord. Merry Christmas, happy Advent, as this is our last Sunday that we will be together. I want to reiterate again, we will not be here in person next Sunday on the 25th. It will be Christmas morning. And so spend that time with your family, pray together, recite to each other the Advent story, share and pray. Uh, we will be here for Christmas Eve. Um, yeah, nothing's happening or a mic is getting hit. Um, <laughs> at 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Today, we are in our fourth and final week of our Emmanuel, God with us series. And, okay. Is there, okay. Santa or a reindeer or? Oh, uh, sorry, it's just me. Okay. Professor Tinkerbum. All right. Uh, good to see you. You're dressed differently once again. Um, do you want to explain why you're dressed like a Christmas elf this year? Right, yes. I love this time of year. Oh, is someone afraid? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. I'm not the Grinch. Anyways. So you're explaining why you're dressed yeah, like... Right, right, yeah, right, 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 right. Okay, yeah, I yeah. love to volunteer with the Salvation Army, and ring the bell outside of every store. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. And that's a very generous use of your time around this time of year. Right. While, while I have you, do you think you can help us review our Advent series while we're here together and the kids are with us? Yes, I would love to volunteer. Okay, great. I mean, Thank you review so much. with you. All right. If you could give us a little bit of a, a rundown. Yes. The very first thing that we looked at, we looked at a few ways that we come to God through this series. A couple of terrible, no good, Grinch-like ways. Okay, all right. I wouldn't that go we that come far. To, anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. The first way that we come to God is we come for God. We that, live for God. That's right. For God being that we come to God by serving Him to do things, to work for him, either serving a church or really reading our scripture. But in doing things for God, we can sometimes miss that he just wants to be with us. All right, that was the first week. What was the second week? Right. Next, we learned that we sometimes live from God. Okay. Pastor Brian, I heard that you talked that everyone in the church is asking God and Santa Claus about receiving a new car a new Lexus this Christmas with a big red bow. Yeah. Uh, I celebrate Honda days, personally. I um, celebrate Toyota-thon. Thank you. Okay, all right, yeah, all right. To each his own. Um, but in that, 
That's close what we talked about. We did talk about the prosperity gospel as it's called or that we come to God as a vending machine. If I pray to him, he'll give me all the things I want. He'll give me all of these items. But in looking to God to give us things, we forget that what he really wants to give us is his presence, living among us, being with us, being known by us and knowing him. Hashtag blessed, am I right? (laughs) Then... We also looked at the posture of living above God, where we think that we have the world figured out and God just happens to fit into our ideas of the world. Yeah, that's good. That was a pretty good uh, summary of it, that one. Thanks. Yeah, coming to God above him, that God is serving what we want and what we need and that we, uh, as you said, have it figured out. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown of what our whole series has been about? Yes, the goal of this series is not to live in any of those terrible, cringe-like postures, okay. but to reimagine the way that we, me, and you, all of us, relate to God through His Son, the God who is with us. Repeat after me. With. With. Very good. Very good. The God who is with us. I thought you were going to go us. I thought we were going to do with us. But All right. Thank you, Professor Tinkerbell. Yes. So great <laughs> to you see you all. Yep. We will Merry see Christmas. You. Merry Christmas. We'll see you at Pennington Market later. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, we have been in this series looking at Emmanuel, the God who is with us. Uh, each week during this, we've been looking at different postures and then talking about the true posture of God being with us. You didn't even crawl? All right. (laughs) Um, Today we are talking about the posture of being under God. In essence, and in short, the idea of coming to God out of fear. That we're afraid of a righteous God, afraid of a powerful God, always not sure if we're worthy enough or good enough, and what God might do to us, afraid of where we might go when we leave this earth. Coming to God from a posture of fear. And I want to give a little bit of how we get to this posture of fear. And honestly, there's a nice little trajectory. So for all the kids and adults, we're going to walk through this very quickly. We live in a world that is pretty chaotic, right? Even right now, Christmas season, the season of silent night and peace coming in can feel really chaotic, right? Um, I don't go to the mall now because I have Amazon and the internet, but I still get like a thousand emails as to what I need to be purchasing right now and what I'm desperately missing and what my family is going to be upset if I don't purchase them. I also know all of the companies I've ever spent money on are wishing me a Merry Christmas, so I guess that's good too, but there's chaos. I'll give a few examples. The chaos of our bodies. We try to do our best to control to eat right diet, exercise, sleep well, but we can't control a lot about our bodies. We can't control when we get sick, how we get sick, the fact that as we get older, our bodies get worse and not better. Think about, for the kids, the chaos of recess, of what that is like, particularly when the gym teachers or teachers don't have a plan for it, and so it's free time. I knew if gym class was free time, I would get hit in the head with a basketball at least once on that free time in gym, the chaos of it, the chaos of seasons as we come into winter, the seasons change again. I don't know how to dress, what to expect, what the temperature will be in the morning, and the chaos of other people. 
We can't control other people, what they do, what they say, how they treat us. We walk through. So for all time, humans have said, how do we deal with the fact that I can't control everything in this world? It's scary. Things happen that I don't know, that I can't really understand. And so humans went through a process of how we got here. First, we started talking to the things that were chaotic. It looks a little bit like this. We would pray to trees. We would pray to the sun. We would pray to the river. Please don't destroy my home. Please don't rain too much and please don't rain not enough. We would pray directly to the chaotic things. Next, we moved to praying to kind of human versions of these things, praying to the God of the oceans or the God of weather and lightning to try and calm those things down. Eventually, human beings realize that there is one true force and one true being, God himself, who has created all of it. And so all these things are chaotic, but he has control over it. And so being human, we came to the plan that humans come to. We said, if God is in control over everything, how do we gain control over the one who has control over everything? We figured out maybe if I do the right things, I say the right things, I act the right way, he might be pleased enough with me that he won't destroy me. He might be pleased enough with us that we won't suffer. We came to a position of asking, well, what does God want? We see Jesus talk about this in John chapter 9, verses 1 and 3. John, the author, writes it like this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or was it because of his parents' sins? So why is suffering happening? Why is this guy suffering? Jesus replied, it is not because of his sins or his parents' sins. He answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. In this instance, Jesus says, no one caused this. The world is broken and he's living in it. And he's broken so that I can show grace and heal him, so that my mercy can be seen in him. As we look to God for our suffering in the world, as a side in this sermon, there are three basic reasons why we suffer. We suffer because of our sin. I've made bad decisions. I've lied to friends and now they don't trust me. That's on me. I did that. I made that, not God. We suffer because someone else sinned against us. Somebody hurt and lied about me, and now people have a perception of me that's not fair. I didn't do that. Someone else sinned against me, and so now I suffer. And then third, because of sin in this world, the world itself is broken. Sometimes chaotic, broken things happen to us. It's either our sin, someone else's sin, or the sin that has made this world broken. That's where we see hurricanes and storms and the failings of these human bodies. Jesus says, it's not because God is punishing you. It's because sin has entered this world, and now we're living in brokenness. This world is fallen, and nature is broken. So this is what we do. All right, it's all broken. It's my sin or someone else's sin, but I still want to be able to know it's going to be okay. So we say to God, let's make a deal. Let's make a deal, you and I. If I do the right things, if I say the right things, if I don't do the bad things, then you won't destroy me. I won't suffer. I'll follow the rules. I'll do all the right things. I'll read the whole Bible. I'll try to do everything that's in there. 
I will sacrifice. I'll give, God. I'll give money. I'll tithe. Gavin said kingdom builders. He showed the video of Carolyn. It seems like there's tech problems. She really needs my money. I'm going to give all that I can to this. And then if I do that, God, you'll be happy with me. Or third, we give all of our emotions in response. You ever done that? You're praying and you're like, wow, I don't... Maybe I got to ramp up my emotions. Okay, I got to get louder with this. I got to get more emotional with this so that God will actually answer it or respond to me. Luke chapter 11, verse 39, Jesus says to us, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. I used to think that this was about Pharisees intentionally doing things wrong. Intentionally, I'm just going to clean the outside, but not the inside. I'm not going to take care of my thoughts and my heart. But what Jesus is actually saying is, if you want to try to earn God's forgiveness, you're going to work really hard. You're going to clean really hard, but you're not going to be able to clean the inside of yourself. You can only clean the outside. You can only change your behaviors and your actions. You can't change your heart. So you'll clean it, and you might look good. You may go to church, know your Bible, but in your heart, you're still broken. Caitlin, if you could pass me the beautiful cookies that are here. I made these cookies myself. I spent a long time on them yesterday. They look like, if you watched The Simpsons in the 90s, they look like a Simpsons donut that was not intentional. It was just an accident. I need three volunteers. Three volunteers to eat a cookie. All right, I got one, Carly over here. I got one over here. Oh my gosh, you're really glowing. You didn't even need to raise your hand. Just come on up, come on up. All right, one of the two of you, figure it out. Nolan, Nolan's on the inside. All right, each of you take a cookie. All right, you bite it when I tell you to. On the count of three, take a big bite of the cookie. One, two, three, go. What are you doing? No one like sucking on the cookie? Okay, all right. And how is it? I worked all night. Is it good? Yeah? Yeah? All right. It's what? Chalky. You want to spit it out? Yeah, you can spit it out. You gonna swallow it or you spit it out? You spit it out. <laughs> yeah, Nolan, sure, you can get yours out. Beautiful. All right, you can leave the cookie too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to do with this plate. <laughs> the cookies looked great. I spent more time decorating it. My sister-in-law is here as an artist and was able to decorate them. Um, but they're not good cookies. If you replace sugar with salt and then you add a whole bunch of lemon extract, uh, the cookie, it vacillates between salty and sour and salty and sour. It's a wild ride. I tested one last night. Something can look fantastic, but still inside be broken. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you want to do it yourself... All you can do is make yourself look better, act better, talk better, but the inside of your heart is still broken. It's still wrong. You can't fix it. You're going to try as much as you can to make your cookies look good, 
But if the recipe is bad, no amount of decoration is going to make it better. We can change our actions, but if our character is broken, we can't fix it. For parents in the room, one of the things that I've learned from my friends and that they've said is that I don't want to be a parent that my kids are afraid of me, that are scared of me, that all I do is I discipline and I yell. Because if we teach our children to fear us, we don't create good children, we create good liars. Because they don't come to me when they're broken and when they've messed up. They're afraid and they run away and they tell me what I want to hear. When we are afraid of God, we just become good liars, good presenters of what we feel like God wants us to be, what God wants us to do, rather than knowing we can bring ourselves to Him to confess, to be forgiven, to be healed and made whole. Okay, so now I need uh, three volunteers, and I want these volunteers to be adults. Can I get three adult volunteers? You're not going to have to eat anything, all right, Dan? This is not a trick. I'm not going to make you, I don't know, eat a McDonald's meal, blend it up. All right, Danny, one more. I'd like a female. All right, Monica. All right, very brave. All right, yeah, you can get on the stage. And I need, I need one child volunteer to help us. One child. All right, you in the back. I just saw your hand. Come up and help us. It doesn't really matter. Okay, so we're going to do a little activity here. Yep, great, thank you. I'm going to move this out of my way. You're going to be Maddie's helper, okay? All right, so on my left here is a present and coal. We all kind of get the paradigm here, right? If you're nice, you get a present. If you're naughty, you get coal. This is actual charcoal. It is pretty dirty. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to give three scenarios. You will each be our stand-ins for the scenarios. And... We all will then judge if the person is a naughty person or a nice person, okay? So you're going you're gonna to help us out. All right. So first, we're going to have Dan here. This is not Dan's actual life. This is Dan, the character I'm giving him, all right? So you know what? We'll call you Stephen. This is Stephen on my left. And, sure. Belteshazzar? Okay, yeah. Yeah, good, all right, yeah. Belteshazzar to my left here. Very common American name. All right. So, Belteshazzar, we're going to list out activities he's done, and then you are going to place a green lay on him for nice and a red lay on him for naughty. Make sense? And you are all going to help. I'm going to list out the thing. You tell if it's naughty or nice. Okay? Got it? And then in the end, we will calculate. We have a very fancy computer in the back that will tabulate all of his decisions and define if Dan is Belteshazzar, is naughty or nice. It's going to be really hard for me to remember that. Okay, activities. Belteshazzar cleaned his room. Naughty or nice? Nice. Nice. All right, put that lay on him. Oh, it's like a double lay too. Okay, Belteshazzar fed the family dog. Naughty or nice? Nice. All right, put it on. Belteshazzar locked his brother in the closet. Naughty or nice? Naughty. All right, two nices, one naughty. Calculation, naughty or nice? Naughty. Naughty, sorry. The one naughty outweighed the two nice. 
Sorry, you can turn those back. Thank you, Belteshazzar, for trying. All right. Next, Monica, do you have a... Yeah, you can get some coal. Monica, do you want an esoteric Old Testament name? You'll be Monica. All right. Monica, help their neighbor bring in their groceries. Naughty or nice? Nice. Yep. She wrote a poem about how much she loved her mom. Naughty or nice? She set the table for dinner. Naughty or nice? She talked to someone new at school. Naughty or nice? She cheated on her math test. Naughty or nice? Naughty. All right, give her the one naughty. Put it on. All right. Okay, so now we have four nices to one naughty. Naughty nice calculator. What do we come up with? Naughty. Sorry, Monica. Hand them back. All right, maybe Dan will do better. All right, here's Dan's naughty and nice list. Dan read a book to his younger sister, naughty or nice. Dan donated some of his toys for Christmas, naughty or nice. Dan served a Trenton area soup kitchen for the last two weeks, making stew from scratch for everyone in the area of Trenton, naughty or nice. Dan fixed a flat tire of someone broken down on 95. Naughty or nice? Nice. Dan built an extension on his neighbor's house for free. Naughty or nice? (laughs) Nice. Very nice. Dan housed three families of refugees, organized a Kickstarter to provide their winter clothing, medical bills, and a new car. Naughty or nice? Nice. Dan negotiated a temporary peace treaty between Israel and Palestine. (laughs) Naughty or nice? Nice. Dan served on the team that discovered the recent breakthrough in nuclear fusion. Naughty or nice? Nice. Dan volunteered with Doctors Without Borders, performing cleft palate surgeries and helping a thousand children around the world. Naughty or nice? Dan didn't put his socks in the laundry bin last night. Naughty or nice? Naughty. Dan tried to get out of his naughty by pretending to be taller than he is. Naughty or nice? Yeah, that's just a bonus one. That wasn't on my list. All right, this is 10 nice to 2 naughty, and the naughties weren't really even that naughty. Calculator, naughty or nice? Naughty. Sorry. All right, each of you can grab your coal. You can have your seat. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Give them a round of applause. Thank you so much for your help. You can use that to start a fire later. When we try to make a deal with God based on our behavior, based on our actions, based on our words, the problem is the standard to make that deal is just too high. The standard's too high. We can't reach it. We can't get there. We can't do enough, say enough, be enough. You can negotiate a peace treaty between Palestine and Israel, but if your heart is still fallen, it's not enough. Jesus gives us an illustration about this in Matthew 18. He talks about what it means to try and earn our salvation, what it means to earn God's good graces. He says, you may have never cheated on your spouse, but if you've looked at another person with your eye, it's exactly the same. He says, you've never murdered anybody. And we said, yeah, no, I haven't. I'm not in prison. He says, but if you've been angry at somebody in your heart, it's the same. And we hear that standard and we go, that standard is too high. I can't make that. I can't reach that. 
In the end, if it's about our actions of trying to appease a God that we are afraid of because he's too righteous, too good, his standard is too high, none of us make it onto the nice list. We're all broken. We live in this broken world. In the end, nobody gets the nice crown. Nobody gets the gift. And so what's the solution? What's Jesus offering us? Rather than us trying to earn our way of a vengeful God, we see the solution that God doesn't want us to aspire to be like him. Instead, God wants us to be with him. So let's take a story. Bring the music down a little. Okay. We see in the Christmas story that regularly in the story of Jesus coming to this world, becoming a human, he just keeps inviting people that aren't the ones you would expect to be around God coming into this earth. In Luke chapter 2, as Caitlin read for us, we see the story of shepherds in a field who are invited in to the story. On the night Jesus was born, angels invited shepherds to come and celebrate the birth of Jesus. Come and see the one who will save you from the brokenness of this world. Come and see the one who will save you from the never-ending list of what you can't meet. Come and be with God who has put on flesh and now is among you and is knowable. The invitation was to shepherds, not priests, not kings, to shepherds, the people who were closest by. And it tells us one true thing, that it's not about God looking for who is worthy, but it's that God is looking for those who are near him. They were the closest by. They were the ones in proximity. He said, just come and be near me. It's not about your worthiness. Yeah, you may be out in the fields. You may smell. Yeah, you may be shepherds, and you may not know the theology the best. Yeah, you may be out here among your friends, and maybe you're joking in a way that might feel not worthy, but you are near me, and I am bringing you near. God did not choose the most deserving to be with him at Christmas. He chose those who were near. And they came and saw a God not powerful, not frightening, not judgmental, but they saw a God who was a human child in a vulnerable state wrapped in, it says, strips of warm cloth, a God who could be held, a God who could be cuddled, a God who was near and knowable. The God we meet at Christmas is Jesus, the God who has come not to judge the world, as Scripture says, but to save the world through him. Let's continue to read Luke 2, 15 to 20. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart, thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, 
It was just as the angel had told them. We see God's desire not to be like him, but to be with him. But as we spend time with him, he makes us like him. The shepherds are invited to be with Jesus. And when called by Jesus, their response wasn't, we got to go get cleaned up. We got to get our lives right. We got to get in the right order, in the right place. Their response was, if God is here, I want to be with him. I want to be near him. They responded to an invitation from God by spending time with him in his presence celebrating, and full of joy. We don't need to complicate the Christmas season. We don't need to make it more of other things than it is. That Advent, waiting on God to come, and his arrival as a person is about the invitation to spend time with the God who has made us, who knows us, and who loves us in Christ Jesus. It's an invitation for time spent with him. The second thing we see them do is they just go and tell others about their experience. They probably can't even explain it, exactly what was happening and why it was happening. Probably didn't know the full scope of that Jesus was going to one day go to a cross and resurrect. They just spent time with the living God and then went and told others about it. In this Christmas season, people are open to an invite to be a part of church, to come to a Christmas Eve service to hear about the story of God coming. And you don't need to complicate it. Simply share what being with Jesus has been like. Share what that has felt like, what he's spoken to you, what Jesus is like. And then third, they go back to their normal life. They go back to shepherding again. But they shepherd now with the experience of being with God in them. Maybe they shepherd a little differently. I don't know. But they shepherd, they go back to their work, but changed by the experience of being with Jesus. And this is what God calls us to do, to go back into our lives, back into teaching, back into coding, back into learning in school, back into being in our normal lives, raising our children, being with our family, being with our friends, but with the awareness that we have spent time with God and with the awareness that he is still with us, speaking to us, working in us, and working through us. Our challenge throughout this series is to practice a daily prayer rhythm of being with God, praying in the morning, praying at midday, and praying in the evening. Today, as we close out, I want to give you a chance to practice the evening prayer, even though it's midday, a prayer of gratitude. You have on your chairs a gratitude sheet. Kids, you would have received your own version of it when you came in here. And what I'm going to ask you to do is take a minute or two, and we're going to practice this activity together. There are pens in the seat backs in front of you. Theo. Can you grab those and pass them to the ladies in front of you, the gratitude cards? Because they don't have any on their front row. We're going to center ourselves down. 
We're going to do this as a community. This is normally an activity, you, if you practice it, and practice it alone, but we want to practice it communally. On the sheet here, it gives you instructions, but I'm also going to talk you through it. Take a minute and reflect on your last day. It's Christmas season, so I'm also going to give you the room to reflect on this last week. Invite the Holy Spirit to show you where God has been active, where God has been moving. Where are angels inviting you in the margin of your day and your life? Prayerfully examine your last 24 hours, your last week, and just jot down there some areas where you're seeing God reveal himself to you that maybe you didn't notice, or areas where you've missed that opportunity of being with him in your life. Take a minute. You can reflect on that. Parents, you can walk your kids through it as well. As God reveals these activities, these moments of where he's been in your life, let's move into the next step of praying with gratitude, of offering a prayer of gratitude. You can pray that quietly where you are. You can pray that with your family. If your children are with you, kind of guide them in a prayer of gratitude for it. And after a moment, I will just guide us all in a communal prayer of gratitude and just express to God the joy, the response, the appreciation for what he has done and is doing in and through your life. Take a moment and offer a prayer of gratitude. Join me in a prayer of gratitude this morning. Lord, we are grateful, God, for how you have moved and worked in our lives. The simple things, the complex things, Lord, that we've had meals to eat, that we've had families to be with and be around, that we get to celebrate this season together. And Jesus, we are grateful that you stepped into this world to become a God who is intimately knowable, a God that is with us, Emmanuel, a God we can spend time with, a God that we can speak to, and a God that we can listen to. And God, may we respond to you in that this morning. As we close and transition, I wanna also invite, if you're here today, 
and you can't confidently say that you have a relationship with Jesus or you're watching this sermon and you can't confidently say, I know I have a relationship with Jesus. I know that I am saved. I want to give you a chance just to pray a prayer of that first step into relationship with Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, I also want to encourage you just pray this as a recommittal moment in this season of your relationship with Jesus. Pray this with me. God, I believe that you came into this world as Jesus Christ, that you were born in a manger to a virgin. You were celebrated by shepherds and by foreign magi and that you were the savior of this world. Jesus, I believe that you lived a human life and you lived it perfectly and you loved perfectly. And you went to a cross on my behalf. You died for my sins, for the sins of others, and for the sin of this world. You died and were buried. And on the third day, you resurrected, rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, and that by your resurrection, I one day will be resurrected and I can be made whole now through your spirit. Jesus, you gave your life for me. In this moment, I pray my life to follow you. I pray this in the name of Jesus.